Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. I want to welcome you to another episode of A Minute with Coach Riggs. I am your host, Jamie Riggs, and we are podcasting today from our studios in downtown, our beautiful studios in wonderful downtown Bruton, Alabama. You know, I am a, uh, I guess you would call me a native of Bruton. I was actually born in Bruton. I was one of the, I think one of the first babies born at D.W. McMillan Hospital in 1955, yes, I realize that makes me very old, but I was a child of the 60s. I grew up in the in the 1960s, and those days, you know, we didn't, in Brute, we didn't have kindergartens, and um, so uh, we, you had to go to your own private kindergarten, and we went to Miss Peavy's kindergarten, which was down there on Highway 31, and uh, down there where the uh, pawn shop is today, uh, so I went to half a day there, and then, of course, we started school in the first grade I started at Bruton Elementary School and then to went to what went to what we call Bruton Junior High School before I entered T.R. Miller High School in the uh, fall of 1970. Graduated in 1974. Only took me four years to get out of there. The 1960s were a time of change and it was pretty actually a pretty good place to grow up. Bruton was in those days. Small town. We didn't go and travel a lot and, and do a lot of things. My uh, basically my life uh, was about going to school and playing ball it was little league or whatever we were playing I had a field out next to my house and you know guys would come from all over and we would have basketball and baseball and football games out there and we went to school we did our we did our school work you know you you're out for the summer and we'd go to the swimming pool and you know every once in a while our family might take a little vacation for a few days in the summer and go to Atlanta or you know, go down to the beach or, you know, go to somewhere like New Orleans or something like that. And so we, we just didn't travel very far, get away very much. And, uh, you know, my grandparents lived in Castleberry. I'd go up there and stay with my grandmother in Castleberry when my parents got tired of me, which I could certainly understand. You know, I would, uh, as I got a little older, I was cutting grass and, uh, you know, we, we had nothing but push mowers. I can remember, I must have been about 13, 14 years old one day when, I saw a uh, ride lawnmower somewhere. I don't whether it was like at Sears or where, wherever it was. I saw a ride lawnmower. I'm going to just tell you, they didn't have all those things in Bruton, Alabama in the 60s. There were very few of those. And I told my dad, I said, hey, we need to get us one of those ride lawnmowers. And he looked at me and he says, why would I want one of those? I have you. And I guess he was right. And as soon as, you know, when I left and quit living at the house and got went off to college, as soon as I did that, he bought a riding lawnmower. I, I, I can understand that. But uh, we just, it was it was a, a pretty good time. We played with our friends. We went places with them and did things. Well, uh, 1968 in particular was a very volatile year in our country. The Vietnam War was at, at its height, and there were protests going on all, everywhere about the, about the war. We had racial tensions. Uh, throughout the country. Uh, we had a presidential election going on. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were both assassinated with them within about three months of each other. And so there was just a lot of a lot of turbulence 
in the United States at that time. And so that fall of 1968, uh, I entered uh, seventh grade at what we call Bruton Junior High School, which was the old big two-story brick building that sat where um, the, which was the old T.R. Miller High School, and it sat where uh, the elementary school sits today. Um, you know, I entered there, and, and for the, the first time, you know, we were going to be going to school uh, with black students. The plan was for the schools to be fully integrated with black and white students in the fall of 1970. And so before that, getting out there in the mid-60s, about 66 or so, uh, they had what they called freedom of choice, which basically meant you could go to school anywhere you wanted to. You still had white schools, you still had black schools, but you could go anywhere you wanted to. So there were a few black students that um, that had come to like T.R. Miller High School, I think, in, in those days, but there wasn't a lot of that. So uh, by 1968, we were getting a little more with, with some of the black students coming over to school. And so this was a, was a big deal. And the other thing that happened in 1968 with the schools was that for the first time, um, we were going to have some black teachers at the white school. So the whole plan of that was just to slowly integrate the schools and get that done before the fall of 1970. So when I, grew, when I um, retired from coaching, uh, there for a couple of years there. I was uh, continuing to write some, as I've talked about before, and so I wrote an essay about that time. And so I, I, I want to read the essay and um, and, and talk about it a, a little bit. And um, just because of the fact that this was such a crazy time and we needed really good people. And I want to write, uh, and I really wrote this uh, in, in memory and honor of, of one of the great teachers that we had who was just critical, I think, to the process of what was going on during those days. And so uh, the title of this is called Black and White. When I was growing up, the world seemed pretty much black and white to me. That is, it was pretty easy for me to see right and wrong. You know, people who did something wrong paid a price for it, or at very least apologized. After I became an adult, I realized that sometimes Life was a little more gray. People made mistakes, telling the truth about something might hurt innocent people, or we don't think he will do it again, and so forth. Sometimes I think it was a lot better when it was all just black and white. I started the seventh grade in the fall of 1968. To say the least, 1968 was a very unsettled time. The presidential election was about to happen, the Vietnam War was raging, and there had been riots and assassinations in the past few months. The big news at Bruton Junior High School that fall was that for the first time, black students would be attending our school. It was called Freedom of Choice, and for the next two years, students could go to the black school or the white school. In the fall of 1970, everyone would go to one school together. There were only a few black students who came over and entered our school that fall. It could not have been easy for them, but everyone that year tried to make it work. As hard as it was for the students, it was even harder for Miss Lilla Burns. Part of the integration procedure was for a black teacher to come to our school and teach in the fall of 1968. She was chosen to teach 7th and 8th grade science at Bruton Junior High School. It is impossible today 
for any of us to fully understand the kind of pressure she must have felt as she started this job. The integration of the public schools was not very popular, and 50 years later, we can not truly appreciate what she must have been thinking and going through. Her success was critical to the success of integration in Bruton. But just imagine what kind of teacher she must have been to be chosen for this impossible task. Just think about that for a minute. My parents have properly warned me about some of the consequences should I cause any problems at all in Mrs. Burns' class. When I entered her classroom on the second floor of the old brick building, it must have been 90 degrees in there. This was the old T.R. Miller High School until the new one had been built five years earlier. There were two huge stairways on each end of the building, and her science classroom was at the top of the stairs. All of the classrooms had high ceilings, and the Bruton City Schools couldn't even spell air conditioning in those days. Mrs. Burns aligned us in desks by alphabetical order, and it was all said and done, I got what could only be described as the catbird seat. When it's 90 degrees in your classroom, the best seats are either in front of the fan, that is, if you had a fan, the Bruton City Schools were not big believers in them either, or in front of the window. I got the window seat, and from this second floor perch, you could see all the way down Belleville Avenue past the Methodist Church to the big curve. The windows were big, and there was a fire escape right there by me. And if I was on a lucky streak, the wind would blow some. I knew every inch of this school. My mother had been the secretary there a few years earlier before taking the same job at the high school. She had to work two weeks before school and two weeks after school each summer. Sometimes she would take me with her to school while she worked. I'd take my basketball, and I'd go out in the old Quonset hut that was used for P.E. where Miller used to play basketball. I would shoot ball for a while, and then I would just, like, roam the school and play in the classrooms. I know this is going to shock a lot of the helicopter parents of today, but there's no telling how many times I went up and down those fire escapes when I was eight or nine years old. It was the 60s. There were no video games. We only had three television stations, and we spent most of the summer outside. Playing on a fire escape was considered okay, as long as you were careful. It was about the second week of science class, and I was pretty happy. I could feel the wind blow, and I could see the cars going up and down Belleville Avenue. When you were 13, that and the promise of lunch are all about, are, are really about all it would take to make us seventh graders happy. Plus, I had discovered girls, and from my catbird seat, I had a good view of Elizabeth Jernigan and Ruth Luttrell. Trust me, life was good that day. As a lifelong educator, I would like to tell you that my seventh grade science goal was to increase my scientific knowledge for the possibility of entering the field of science or medicine one day as a vocation. But my goal was actually to stay out of trouble 
and make at least a B in her class, which would probably get me by at home. If I actually learned something along the way, it would be a bonus. On this day, I was gazing out the window as Miss Burns was covering something on her overhead projector. Overhead projectors were really ahead of the game in 1968, and she had all these overlays she used with science stuff on them, and to be honest, it was pretty cool. Anyway, I was looking out the window, thinking about something other than science, when I heard her voice say, Jamie Riggs, are you looking at that window? I looked back at her. She wore black rimmed glasses and was staring over the top of them, just gazing at me. So was everybody else in the class. I knew my gig was up. She had me red-handed. If you got caught looking out a window, they would always move you to the back of the room behind some smelly kid. Are you paying attention to me, or are you looking out that window? I responded with a very positive, no ma'am, I'm listening to you. I gave her that smile I would give my mother when she would ask me who ate all the cupcakes. This is the same smile that I would learn to use on the girls in high school when I need a little extra help with my homework. She slid her glasses down a little lower on her nose so that I could see her eyes and she stared a hole through me. There was no noise in the classroom at all. Happens again, you will be moving your seat. And she gave me this little smile back, like she could have nailed me, but she was letting me slide on this one time. I couldn't believe it. It was like playing Monopoly, and I had a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's when I learned and realized that Mrs. Burns was no longer my black teacher. She had just become my science teacher. I was in a lot of classrooms during my educational years, and the Bruton City system had some excellent instructors. I believe that I had never had a teacher who was more professional than Mrs. Burns. She always looked the part of a teacher. She wore these white blouses and long flowing skirts with these beautiful pearl necklaces. She was absolutely prepared every day for class. If you ever thought you were going to science and do nothing today, you were going to be wrong. We did science every day. Every day, and I mean every day. It didn't take me long to figure out why she was the one sent to teach at Bruton Junior High School. Mrs. Burns taught us science for two years. She would give us these long sheets of questions on a frog or something like that. We would have to look up all the answers. You know, it's amazing what you can learn from doing those sheets. I also came to discover that she had this dry sense of humor that she couldn't really use until later on when she became more comfortable. But Mrs. Burns will always be remembered for how she told you to go back to your seat and sit down. She would say, take your physiology and anatomy and put it back in that seat. Now that's a science teacher. I learned way more science than I intended, made a lot of A's, and I enjoyed going to her class. In addition to science, 
Ms. Burns taught me one of my first great lessons about black and white. You don't earn respect because of the color of your skin. You earn respect because of your work ethic and the way you treat people. Before becoming the first black teacher to come to the white junior high school in 1968, Ms. Lilla Burns had taught every kind of science at Booker T. Washington High School here in Bruton for 16 years. Originally from Montgomery, she had received every educational degree possible in science from Alabama State University, a master's, a double A, and even her doctorate. Most summers, she went back to college to get additional training even though she didn't need it. Among that training was two summers at the Oak Ridge Nuclear Science Institute in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and one summer at the Florida Institute of Technology. Ms. Burns was active in the Brute community over the years, volunteering her time to work with the Girl Scouts, the Red Cross, the United Fund, and various church activities at Baptist Hill Missionary Baptist Church in Bruton, where she was a faithful member. On numerous occasions, she spent her own money to buy food and clothes for needy children. In a letter of recommendation written for her to enter another graduate program in 1973, Assistant Superintendent Bill Pendergrass, who supervised teachers in those days, said that Ms. Burns was one of the best, if not the best science teacher he had ever worked with in all his years of education. She is one of the few teachers who can teach all the children, regardless of their ability, he wrote. Her dedication to children is unsurpassed. Mrs. Burns continued to teach science at Bruton Middle School throughout the 70s before becoming guidance counselor there in 1979. She passed away suddenly at age 51 in May of 1980. Superintendent Dale Garner and the Bruton Middle School principal Sonny Steele both spoke at her funeral services. The Bruton City Board of Education felt so indebted to her for her dedication and the courage she had shown during the integration of black and white students that they issued a special resolution honoring her loyalty and devoted service to the Bruton City Schools. I had no idea in 1968 exactly who my science teacher was, but 50 years later I realized that she was probably the most important teacher in the long history of the Bruton City Schools. By the way, about two weeks later, she caught me looking out the window again and moved me to the back of the room behind some smelly kid. You know, just like uh, all of you probably listen to this, I went to school for a long time, you know, between uh, from where you were, your kindergarten up through graduate school or how many places you've been. And one of the things that, that I learned, and you probably are the same way, it didn't take me long to figure out that when I went to a classroom, um, is this a, is this person a good teacher? You know, I'd been in enough of my, it didn't take me long to figure that out. And uh, if I had to do, uh, name the 10 teachers that I had that were the best teachers that I was, you know, throughout all of my times of, uh, of going to school, Miss Burns would certainly be in that top 10 list. She uh, would, would, would blow the doors off of uh, 
some of those folks that I had in college. You know, I had some good teachers in college. I went to JD for two years out there. I had some good teachers out there uh, that were every bit as good as anybody I had when I went to uh, the University of Alabama or I got my master's at Troy or any of them. And I'm not criticizing them, but I think that we all understand that there are certain things that teachers do that, that set them apart. And uh, one of those things is that they know their subject in and out. You know, there's no doubt. There's no doubt she knew her. She knew everything. You, she could answer any question that you had about science. The second thing is that uh, the best teachers are ultimately prepared every day. They are prepared. They not only know what they're going to teach, they know how they're going to teach it. And they have prepared that. And uh, they're going to make sure that, that you get what you're supposed to get out of that lesson every day. Um, the third thing about uh, good teachers is that they can always find a way to motivate you. Students are different. You know, wherever that some people didn't need motivating. You know, I, I went to school with folks that, uh, you know, didn't need motivating. They, they were going to do their work every day. They wanted that, that 99 grade or that 100 or whatever. They wanted to be at the top of the class. Other people aren't like that. And they need motivating a little bit. And some teachers just can't can't do that. They can teach the subject, but they can't motivate folks. The best teachers are those that can motivate their students and keep their interest up uh, even when the student doesn't want to. And then finally, to me, most of the best teachers that I ever had when I was uh, coming through school, it was like that they they taught people. They didn't really teach subject. They didn't really, like Miss Burns didn't really teach science. She, she taught people and she taught those people science and uh, I think we forget that sometimes because there are some days that you go in there and for whatever reason you're just not into it you got problems at home you got you know there's something bothering you or and you know you, later years you lost your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever and uh, a lot of teachers understand those things they understand how people are and uh, they make an attempt to get get you kind of back going on the right trick there a little bit so that you can learn your subject and do what you need to do. But they do care about you. They literally do. And so I think those are the four things that, that I always noticed that um, uh, set teachers apart. And Miss Burns was certainly one of those. Uh, thank you for listening today. I and, and I want to leave you with this. I, I like to leave you with a quote sometimes. Uh, you, you don't earn respect because of the color of your skin. You earn respect because of your work ethic and the way you treat people. This has been a minute with Coach Riggs. Thanks for joining us.